I want to tell you um, uh, about an experience that, uh, that is kind of familiar with, with my boys, and they have to endure it from time to time. But one of the things I've learned about being a dad is if you wait too long after an experience, they, the experience loses itself. It's kind of like when you first start spanking your kids, you know, if you, if you haven't. Uh, t- talk to me. I've got all kinds of tips on that. And, and, uh, <laughs> But, but no, um, you have to help them in the moment or they, they forget what you're doing. And, and even with coachable moments, when good things happen or, or not so good things happen, you kind of got to take care of it right then. And so I, I, as a dad, I've been a, a big believer in what I would just call coachable moments. And, and, and sometimes that has nothing to do with them. It's, it's something that we experienced in, you know, out, outside or in the world or in a store or whatever. And I use those times to have really great conversations, especially as they get older. And uh, it, it was a few years ago. We were at Schlotsky's, and, and, uh, and a really neat thing happened, but it didn't start off that way. Uh, so um, I, I go up, and, and, and I, 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 don't, I hate onions, like, n- no kidding, okay? Now, I- I- if any of y'all want to send me onions in a box, don't think I won't find out who it is, okay? Because we've got ministry platform, databases. I've also got detectives in this church, as in for real. I will find who you are, and I will make it count, um, all right, somehow. I will plant them in your yard, and you won't know till next spring or something. I don't know. But, but nonetheless, um, I go up to order this sandwich that I liked, and, and this was probably a couple years ago, and, and I said, hey, um, I can, no onions. And the lady's really nice, and, and the, the whole exchange wasn't bad. It was just she said, uh, well, we, we can't do that. And I was that was just a weird answer. And, and I said, what? I don't know what you mean you can't do that. She said, well, we can't. They come in a prepackaged bag. And I said, okay, well, maybe, and, and y'all got to trust me. I promise you, I, I was really nice about it. I, I wasn't a jerk. But I said, I can see your cook. I said, could you go back there and just say, you know, Onions go one way, red peppers go the other. The guy doesn't like red pepper. He doesn't like onions at all because they overpower for me. I, I, just, I can't get past it. It's just one of those things. And she said, no, well, they, we just really can't do that. I said, well, it's not that you can't. You just won't. So Michelle and Cole are going, oh, God help us, you know, and they're, I mean, because they, you know, and, and I'm really, you know, I'm, I'm gentle natured about it. And I said, just, it's okay, I just don't tell me you can't, because I know, I know that my four-year-old, who Tucker at the time, could go back there and go, onions go one way, peppers go the other, you know, and, and, and uh, it's just that you don't want to. It's just make the sandwich, I'll take it off. So, you know, by this time, you know, then I am, I'm doing a lot of suppression, um, and, and uh, so when, as we're sitting down waiting on it, I said, Cole, let Let's, let's talk about something for a minute. Let's just kind of look at a 10,000-foot view here of, of this thing called customer service. And so he's like, oh, Dad, you know. And, and I'm like, no, look. I said, so let's, I said, what do you think happened back there? He said, I said, did you? He said, yeah, she, you told her that it's not that she can't. She just doesn't want to do it. I said, yeah, she just doesn't want to do it. And, and I said, so they had this excuse. It all comes prepackaged and blah, blah, blah. I said, so he, I said, let me ask you a question, son. I said, we're sitting here at Slotsky's. I said, are we the only restaurant in this parking lot? He said, no. I said, who's there? Well, McDonald's is right there. Yeah, and, and Macaroni Grill's right there. I said, yeah. So I said, did, did me and you and mom, were we forced to eat here today? He said, no. I said, that's right. There were options. 
Okay, there were options. And so we chose to eat here today, which means it's an honor to get somebody's money, right? Sam Walton once said, this is like, he has to endure this stuff all the time, bless his heart. I said, Sam Walton once said, if you don't think the customer is the CEO, just watch how fast they can prove it, right? And I said, so what she's forgetting is that every person that comes through that door is paying her salary. Slotsky's may sign the check, but we give the revenue for it. And, and so, I, so then the whole thing takes on a whole new change because she walks up and she says, hey, I figured out a way um, to do this. I'm like, it's like, first of all, I'm like, it's not that hard. But anyway, you know, uh, but she said, what was, she said, what's happening is when we send this in on the computer, it goes back to the kitchen and they see it. And I realized if I figured, if I just rang it up completely different, it, then they wouldn't even use the premix. And I'm like, Oh, well, thank you. That's really neat that you found a way. Well, then when she leaves, I said, okay, whole new scenario, okay? <laughs> so I said, so now, I said, do you, I said, now, do you know, obviously, this is one of the managers on shift. I said, so do you know, so, so think about this. So this is what that tells me about that, that lady. She wasn't content to leave it like that. And I said, so that's really cool. That's why you put somebody like her in that chair. Because between the time when she rang it up to the time that I sat down, she figured out a way that there was something in the system. And she even, I think, I think she maybe even told me I was just going to go separate them myself, which was really neat. But, but she figured out a way that there was a, a problem between the communication between the front desk, obviously, or the point of service and, and, and the kitchen. And so she begins to, so we get sandwiched. And then when we go on, I said, hey, Go on to the, to the truck. I'll, I'll be there in a minute. And so I, I, I pulled her off to the side because this time she wasn't working the register anymore. And I said, hey, I, I want to talk to you. I promise it's good. And, and uh, she's like, yeah. I said, hey, I want to tell you something. I said, you, you've really got what it takes to be a good leader. And I said, I, I said let, me, let me explain something to you. I know this sounded like onions, but it was never about onions at all. It was about the fact that nobody is forced to eat with you. And, it, and the customer's not always right, by the way. I said, my dad owned a small business. The customer's not always right. Sometimes people will take advantage of you for sure. I said, but let me, I said, let me tell you, I saw my daddy, and I told her this. I said, I saw my daddy many times when I would have to get up early in the morning at 4 o'clock, and he would go open our shop. That he would often, he, they, he, he didn't open until 5, but no, everybody saw the lights on. So workers would come through. We had a small hunting and fishing store, and... I would see somebody knock on the door, and Dad would go unlock the door. He would literally sell him a Coke and a bag of potato chips for a dollar at that time, a dollar and a half. And he would lock the door behind them. But he wasn't about to tell. It wasn't, he, he didn't need the dollar and a half. It was about the simple principle that somebody needed something. Or I saw him open the office early or open the store early on weekends because he knew people would need gear. And it was their one chance to go fishing for the week, and they had forgotten something. And he cared. And see, when you own something, you care more about it. It, right? You just do. And, and so, so I, I, I told him, I said, you know, I told this lady that, you know, I, I was really proud of her for, for thinking through it because I said that the reality is, and this is, this is how I finished it. I said, this is, you're thinking, what in the world does this have to do with Sermon on the Mount? It's, it's, I promise you it has a lot to do with it. I said, because here, here's the bottom line. That's what I told Cole. I said, when I was growing up, Really good customer service was just the standard. And it was just the standard. Now it's the radical. 
If I got mad every time I got poor customer service, I would also need a, a counselor on retainer, right? Because I, I just stay mad. You know, how many times have you bought something? I bought $800 worth of tires one time, and the guy handed me my keys back. And I said, hey, brother, I just spent 800 bucks with you. There's got to be more coming my way than here's your keys. So he had forgotten who pays the bills. And in and, and this particular case, customer service used to be something that everybody did. So what's interesting now is that when you do get it, like that lady at Slotsky's, when you do see somebody go the extra mile, it blows your mind because you don't see it anymore. You, you don't see anybody care enough. Not, I, you know, I don't think any of us as consumers want the red carpet rolled out. I don't want that kind of attention. It's just onions. But I don't want to pay for something. I, there's nothing worse than eating a sandwich with onions on it, right? And it's awful. I paid for that, right? So, so what, what's the point? What used to be the standard is now the radical. Well, today I want to talk to you about what I'm going to call the forgotten standard of fasting, Today, we're going to talk about this idea that Jesus called us to fast, and I don't, think, I don't think we think about it anymore. So turn in your Bibles to Matthew 6. It's the Sermon on the Mount. We've been there. We're going to be there for many more weeks. Matthew chapter 6 is where we're going. We're going to start in verse 16, and I'm going to read it to you. Let's read it together here. Matthew, if you're on a digital platform, it's New American Standard, N-A-S-B. Matthew 6, 16. And Jesus said, now whenever you fast... Do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men. In other words, literally, they would look all sad and they would look uh, washed out and pale. So people go, oh, they must be fasting. Ooh, they're super spiritual. Jesus says, truly, I say to you, they have their reward. Well, what was their reward? They wanted people to think they were God's favorite crew. That Literally, that's the easiest way to say it. Verse 17. But you, he's talking to his followers, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. It's a modern-day example of look like you always would look. So that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but by your Father who's in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, when you think about fasting, you... you it's just not something we talk about anymore. But if you read the Old Testament, it's all over the Old Testament. And if you read the New Testament, it's brought up all kinds of times. In fact, we won't spend a lot of time here, but in the New Testament church, I'll just give you two quick examples. In Acts, uh, look at this verse. In Acts 13, it says that while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Then when they had fasted and prayed, and we laid their hands on them and they sent them away. So the early church, New Testament church, so it made, it, it made the jump from Old to New Testament. Look at this next uh, part of Acts. It says, when, a whole different scenario, a whole different context. When they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, notice it's separated, 
They commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So see, fasting is something that the New, church, New Testament church carried on. But somewhere along the way from that time to this, I really think it's one of those things that's just been, for the most part, not exclusively, there are still people that do it, but for the most part, it's something that we just move beyond. And, and, and I think there's reasons for that, and we're going to uncover that as to why it is. I, I tell you why I, I, I think a big part of this, Jesus said, when you fast, notice what he did you, did you catch that? But Jesus said, but when you fast, notice that Jesus kind of implied that it was expected. Jesus implied that he assumed, I don't want to try to get in his mind any more than I'm allowed to, but it, it's pretty apparent that he said, but when you fast. So it was indirect. There's an expectation there. And I, I wonder, I ask myself, I wonder why we don't do this like we were called to. And I tell you why I, I think it, one of the bigger reasons it is, is if you look over the landscape of how church has, has, church has worked in the last 50 years, maybe give or take, and I'm using that as a, a ballpark number. If you look at how the church has worked, so much of what we see on the, especially in the American, it's not really all I can speak to, um, is that on the American landscape that we see so much about church being related to what I would call amenity-driven Christianity. Okay, so we look at what churches can do for our family. We look at what churches can do for us. We actually, people, people literally shop churches. They look at all the things they have and they pick one, right? And I'm not saying that there's any, I mean, we've all on some level, we go into churches and we kind of try to match our life with kind of where, and I, I'm not saying that's bad. What I am saying is it's really potentially toxic that you look as the church as a place that goes to help you get by. When we're called to be part of a kingdom, which is what the Sermon on the Mount is about, we're part to be part of a kingdom that moves his kingdom forward. His kingdom was never meant just to make my life better. Did you, did you hear me say that? His kingdom was never designed to make my life better. And I think that's why you see so many people hop in churches all the time. I talk to pastors, not just in Tennessee, all over the nation, and it's just it's an epidemic. People, they, they get mad at one thing or they don't like one thing or they pull out because it's, it's something better for their kids all the time. And sometimes I know there's times and seasons. And, but for the most part, what we look at is we look at ways that we're not getting what we want. When Jesus said that we are to bend to, notice what he said in the, in, in the model prayer, which, by the way, was just a few verses for that. Your kingdom come, your will come be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, that's submission, isn't it? So, so fasting is one of those things where, in fact, you know what's really interesting to me, you guys? You know, I, I do read a lot, and, and, then, and then on top of just studying for sermons, but it's, it's interesting even this week when I was putting all this together, I've got a lot of commentaries on the Sermon on the Mount, I think seven or eight, just on, the, literally just on this t- topic of the Sermon on the Mount. You wouldn't believe how many theologians literally skip verses 16 through 18. I mean, they don't even talk about it. They won't even deal with it because it's a forgotten standard. So let's define it real quick. What is fasting? Let's, let's start with that, okay? I, this is Jason's definition, but I would say fasting is, a re, is removing physical barriers to clear a path for the Spirit's work in my soul. 
It's removing physical barriers to clear a path for the Spirit's work in my soul. Fasting is not about not eating. It's not about not eating. If you've, if you've been to Clearview much at all, you'll notice that from time to time one of the verses that's been very formative in my life for many years is 1 Thessalonians 5, 23. And notice what, this has been, this has been a game changer for me as a Christian, not just as a, as a leader. But Paul was praying and he said, now may the God of peace, don't read past that part, peace, that is actual peace in your soul, sanctify you, that has set you apart entirely, and may your spirit and your soul and your body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So I circled those three words for you because it's very real, it's, it's very apparent that there is a connection between our body and our soul and our spirit. Our body is exactly what our body, what you would think it to be. Our soul is the place that's often very misunderstood, Okay. Our soul is our attitude. Our, you often hear uh, the easiest way to describe it is, what does your gut tell you? Right? When you hear somebody say, what does your gut tell you? Your, 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 that, that's your inner feeler. You know, your soul can be depressed. It can be lifted up. You, you know, we see David talk to the soul all the time in the Psalms. Your soul is your mind, your heart. It's your will, your attitude. That is your soul, okay? Your spirit is the eternal side of you. Now, why does this matter? I bring this up so that you'll understand. There is a connection, and this is where you see all these, you know, uh, really strange uh, philosophical and theological things come about with world religions and new age religions because they take this idea of, body and soul, and they just go into places that God never intended for it to go. But there is a connection between, you even hear David talk about the countenance, right? You ever know, have you ever noticed sometimes when you, if you know somebody really well, like a friend or maybe your spouse or maybe somebody that's just you work with, that you know, you know that person really well, and you can walk up and you can, as soon as you see them tomorrow morning, you will know something's not right. Their countenance told you that, right? So their inner self made an expression on their outer self. There's nothing weird about that. That's just the way God made us, right? So there is a connection there. So when, when, when you look at the clearing of a path, that's what, that's what fasting is about. It's about longing. It's not about religion. It's about a, fasting is about a longing to hear from God in, in a different way. And that's what made Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount right out of the gate in Matthew 5.20, Jesus said this. Look at what he says. He said, for I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses or goes further th that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. See, when Jesus said, don't be gloomy-faced, wash your face, he's saying that the Pharisees, well, they fasted too, but their, their aim wasn't to clear a path that God could speak to them. Their aim was that everybody could see them and see that they're super spiritual. And I think this is where we see a lot of people misunderstand the whole point of why Jesus expects us to fast, because we get our motives wrong. One man that, oh, I just would, he's in heaven now, and I would have loved, oh man, I would have loved to have met Dallas Willard. Dallas has written some phenomenal books. Maybe the most, uh, most known was called The Spirit of the Disciplines. Dallas is one of those people, I'm just going to say before you rush out on Amazon and buy one of his books, pack a lunch, because I'll read a page of Dallas and I'll have to think for five minutes. And he's not in trying to be deep. He just ran deep with God. 
And he was a professor at University, uh, University of Southern California and, and a world-renowned scholar, but he's a thorough, deep evangelical. And this is what he said about spirituality. He said, spirituality wrongly understood or pursued is a major source of human misery and rebellion against God. Now, I want you to think about that for a minute. Spirituality wrongly pursued is a source of misery or rebellion. How many of you grew up, now don't raise your hands because your parents could be watching, you know, now that we're all digital all over the world now, right? So just be really careful. In fact, I would encourage most of you, don't even nod, okay, because your mom might be watching, all right? How many of you grew up in homes where you were going? the church. And you were also going to wear this. And you were going to sit still, shut up, and be happy <laughs> in church, right? That doesn't make our parents bad. Oh, come on. No, man. We all had church clothes, and they were awful. They had a whole different deal going on at those stores. I swear they had a department where they could take moms and say, what, do you want the painful stuff? Because, I mean, I can, like, restrict them where they can't even move. And that, you know, if you want them to be still. But what, 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 what happens? Because when we pursue God for the wrong reasons, well, then we should expect the wrong outcome, shouldn't we? we and that's what was happening with the Pharisees. In fact, it, for them, it wasn't even about morality. Fasting is not about morality. And, and pursuing God wasn't about morality. In fact, I would go so far as to say morality is a natural consequence of an aligned life. Morality, so, so we, people pursue God, or maybe you came to Clearview this morning because you just want to be, you want to be uh, morally right with God. But I'm going to tell you over and over again, you, you hear me say it all the time, I'm going to keep saying it, you don't need Jesus to be good. You don't. You don't need Jesus. To, it's easier, but you don't need Jesus to be a good person. I know lots of good people that don't know Jesus. You don't need Jesus to be good. It, so, so morality is just an outcome of an aligned life. It, it, so we look at Christianity sometimes, and we think, and we're raised to think, well, good Christians behave good. And well, m- most of the time, and you know, not always. But what is the deal with this about morality, and what is the deal with it about pursuing God for all the right reasons, and why? Why is it that when he talked about the Pharisees, who all thought they were going to heaven, and Jesus is saying, "Hey, don't tell them." But, like, they're not going to make it. Because he says, unless your righteousness goes past theirs, you're not getting in either. That's a heavy statement. That's a heavy statement. So, it wasn't about morality, and it wasn't about religion. I wonder sometimes if the reason that what used to be the standard is now the radical I wonder sometimes if it goes back to idolatry. Say, wait a minute, how can fasting be tied to idolatry? Don't hear me say that if you don't fast, you're worshiping idols. I I don't think that. No, I'm saying going back to Dallas Willard's comment, spirituality wrongly understood or wrongly pursued is a major source of rebellion or misery. See, I... I wonder if sometimes the reason that we get twisted up in our pursuit with God and it feels heavy, if if, if you're just pursuing Christ because of fire insurance and you just want Jesus to take 
hell off the table, well, then that's idolatry because you're only concerned with what you get out of it. If, if you only obey Jesus to a point, we see this all the time about motives. We see people all the time. I see people. In fact, I've probably done this myself, and I'm sure you have too, that we obey God to a point that it actually calls for us to give something up or let something go. And, and we don't like the outcome. I see all kinds of people now that investigate Christ, but they don't want to fall under his authority. So therefore, they, they just keep coming to church. But that explains to me why you see Christians that don't take the word of God as the word of God. It's why you see Christians at times saying things that don't line up with scriptures or embracing ideologies or embracing cultural or political or sociological ideologies. Well, who am I to judge that don't line up with the word of God? And I'm saying, you don't get that right. You don't get that option. You're either, you're a believer under the authority of the scriptures or you're not. Let's don't pick and choose. Because if we're going to start arguing what you think, well, then that could go on forever. So spirituality wrongly pursued is a source of misery and it is a source of rebellion because what happens is we pursue it for our gain. And anything that we pursue for our gain when it comes to God, well, that's an idol in the making. Because we're looking for, for, what are idols? Idols overpromise and they underdeliver. So why did the Pharisees, what was their idol? Oh, it's really easy to see. Their idol was applause. They wanted people to, ooh, look, like they got the, it's like, it'd be like if I wore one of those Anglican collars, but I ordered it extra big, you know, so that even a hoodie couldn't cover it, you know? Oh, he must be a man of God. Or, you know, they're looking for people. They, they would, you know, not comb their hair. They would look really washed out. Oh, I'm fasting because I love God so much, right? Sounds goofy, but that's exactly what they were doing. So they fasted, but why was there no power? Why was there no power? Because their motive was off. Their motive was off. So I want to say to you this morning when it comes to fasting and when it comes to hearing from God, fasting is just, what, what did I tell you that it was? Fasting is nothing more than clearing a path for the Spirit to work in my soul. And if that's what it is, and I do believe within all my heart that's what it is, well, then I would say to you that when it comes to hearing from God, motive matters. Motive matters. Their motive when Jesus said, don't be like the hypocrites. When you want to hear from God, motive matters. Did you hear me? Because you fast for something that you long for. So when you want to hear from God, your motive for why you want to hear from God, your motive matters. And we're going to unpack that for a minute, right? It's why you see in the book of James, if you're writing this down this morning, write down James 4.3. James 4.3 says this. James said, you ask and you do not receive. You're praying. You ask and you do not receive. Why? Because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. Now, I want to tell you something. You want to take that verse and lay it over the top of your prayer journal? Good luck. 
because you're going to feel some stuff. I'm just telling you. Take that verse and leverage it against your prayer list. And I don't mean the prayer list of all the people who say, hey, you know, people come to me all the time. Hey, I, I need you to pray for me. Look, I don't have a better line than you do to God. All right? No, that's the honest truth. In fact, there's, I got my people I do that to, too. Right? Some of y'all think I can just, you know, hit the hot button and it just turns red. And What do they need, Jason? Give it to them. Boom. You know, I'm 47, just a, a dad. Just like many of you, I'm just a normal person. You, you know, you punch me, it's going to hurt. I'm probably going to punch you back, but, that's, you know, but what, that, wake up. That's a good joke. <laughs> you, you, you spend it on your, on your own pleasures. The motive matters. The motive matters. So now let's get to fasting, that we understand the purpose behind it. Here we go. These are tied to each other, so, so stay with me for just a second. My motive for fasting is for the purpose of hearing God's voice. If you're taking notes, I want you to write that part down. My motive for fasting is for the purpose. See, fasting, fa listen, fasting is not, it is not just not eating. The purpose is that you would hear from God. Did you notice that in the life of Christ, I don't know if you've noticed as you've read the scriptures and if you've read the Sermon on the Mount, but if you follow the life of Jesus, have you noticed that Jesus had consistent seasons of separation. That Jesus had consistent seasons of separation. And by seasons, I don't mean like days and weeks. Every now and then it was that. But it was at least often that Jesus would pull away for an hour, for a few minutes. They would often go looking for him. They couldn't find him. He would go to the other side of the lake to be by himself for just a little bit. Right? Why, why was he doing that? Why was Jesus doing that? Jesus was pulling, a, pulling away for separation. See, let, let me tell you why that matters. <laughs> when you, when you want to hear from God over a specific issue and you decide to go without food for that, and by the way, that's, that's the biblical definition of fasting is that you go without food. It's, you know, don't fast from sugar. That's not part of the deal. You know, that's just smart. It's like in 1 Jason 4 or something. It's not, it didn't make it to the canon, right? All right, so, so when you fast, you're going without food. Why? Because sometimes God has to put you in a different position so that you're able to hear. That's the point. God has to bring you to a season of quiet. So when you fast, the whole idea is that if you, were, if you normally eat lunch at 1130, just don't eat lunch at 1130. And if it takes you 15 minutes, some of you are going to be really great Baptists, and you're going to time that sucker. I'll tell you what, I'm going to time my next four lunches, and that's how many times. You know. But it's, it's you take that pocket of time, and you go and you pray and sit before the Lord for that pocket of time. That's what fasting is. You go and you sit before the Lord in that pocket of time and you substitute spiritual food for actual food. But the whole point of it is that God is putting you in a different position because you want to hear his voice. And I really think, truthfully, I think this is where I got it wrong for a long time. I think I got it wrong because 
I would fast in my early days because I would hear, sometimes I would read about it in the scriptures, and I'd be like, you know, I should do that. And so I would go without food for a day or, or sometimes a little longer, and all I would do is come away mad, you know, hungry and mad. I was mad because I was hungry. But it wasn't until I had a, a really friend, a good friend deep in the Lord say, oh, no, 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 Jason. The biblical point of a fast is that a fast always has a purpose. Oh, yeah, you never fast for the sake of it. A biblical fast always has an agenda, and that agenda is that you want to hear from God. So fasting is always, biblically speaking, fasting is always tied to a purpose. So in that purpose is that I want to hear God's voice. So I told you these were hitched, right? That's the first part of the equation. The second part, fasting, is always for the purpose of hearing God's voice. And my motive for hearing God's voice is for the purpose of obeying God's lead. Now, you see how that's tied? So I separate myself to hear from God. The the typical Hebrew fast was a day, a one day. Typical fasts were a day where you maybe only drink water. Sometimes when I fast, I'll, I'll do a, a protein shake. It's not a meal replacement. It's just, well, I usually don't own a one day. If I go on a three-day or a seven-day, then sometimes I'll, I'll do that. I'll do protein shakes so I don't just collapse, you know, because that's, that's um, the first time I ever did a seven-day fast. It was years ago, and I pretty much just only, I, I did, uh, I think I, I did do a smoothie at midweek. And by the end of those seven days, um, you know, we, we, we had all kinds of issues in our home, man. It was, it was, not, it was not good. Um, but the whole point of, of, of setting yourself apart and getting in a different position so that you can hear God is that when you do hear him, don't miss this. When you do hear him, you actually go do what you heard. You actually do go do what you heard. Now, sometimes you won't always hear from God. I've gone through fast before where I didn't come away with much. That's his prerogative, by the way. Sometimes he was just getting me closer. Sometimes he was just getting me closer. But the whole point of hearing, so I drew it out for you like this, right? Hearing from God is about obeying God. Don't ever disconnect those two. That's why when you see in James chapter 1, it says anybody that prays for wisdom, God will give it to you. But you ought not to expect anything from God because you're double-minded. Go read James chapter 1. The double-minded person ought not to expect to ever hear from God. You know what double-minded means? Two souls, two wills. Your will versus God's will. And until you don't have a will, when your will is finally gone, and that's the point of fasting, you're so broken over your daughter. Not, maybe she's not doing anything wrong, but she's just not where she should be with God. And so you're going to go without food for a day. Or maybe you're so broken over going into your, to a sales meeting coming up. Or maybe you're going to go to one of the people that sits on your corporate board and you've got to discuss something that's going on inside the company and you don't know how they're going to take it. So what do you do? You spend a whole day doing without food because you want to hear from God because you know in that 30, 45 seconds where you present the issue to the board of directors, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, that's the point of fasting. Is that you're longing for something so that you can obey God's voice for your life. Fasting is not the end goal. Listen, fasting is not the end goal. Obeying God is the end goal. Obeying God is the end goal. That's the whole point. 
Most of you in here, I'm guessing by law of averages, most of you have, have probably never tried fasting. And, and I was, I'm going to say to you that, that I'm, I'm not trying to guilt you for not doing it. I'm trying to say, do it. I, I don't keep a record of how many times I've fasted. I, 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 don't, I, I, I only fast really when I feel prompted to. You know, and, and, and I think that's really kind of the whole point is that I was prompted to go before the Lord. Sometimes I fast about things here. Sometimes I fast about things in my own life. So if you've never tried it, start with just a meal, just, just one. You can do that. I promise you can do it. And, and, and I want to tell you why this matters so much. You're, you're never going to go deeper with God until you're willing to go higher with God. And the way that you go higher with God is to go deeper with God. And sometimes that requires you to doing things that some people see as radical, but the New Testament just called it the standard. And in an amenity-driven retail Christianity world, it's really hard to get people to buy into deeper and higher. It's just really hard. So last week with Give Us Franklin, we, we told you that we, we I would, I, I really, I'm asking you as the leader of this body of, of Christians I'm asking you, if you've never fasted before, do it one time. Take one meal, a one-meal family fast. In the next 30 days, and here's the purpose. The purpose is, is, is twofold. One, pray that we would remove that debt within the next 12 months. Pray for our trustees. Pray for me. Pray for our finance team. We are actively seeking how to get that debt off our backs so that we can minister in front of the Lord and for this community in ways we never have. That's a good motive, right? That's a good motive. Because we, we believe that we're just on the brink of all that God has. I believe at Clearview, our best days are ahead, not behind. Our best days are ahead. I believe that with all my heart. Listen, I, mean, I wouldn't spend a career here if I didn't believe that. That's the honest truth. So I'm asking you to, to, to go before the Lord with your family, skip one meal, and then talk about it. Pray at the dinner table, you know? And if you want to be like burn incense before the Lord in the form of like biscuits, like really bring it make, it, make it hard. I'm just kidding. Don't make it hard, okay? Maybe you just go somewhere else north of the table. Maybe that was a bad idea. That part was probably not anointed. Um, remove the debt in the next one. Here's the second part, though. If you're going to skip a meal in the next 30 days for your church, then I'm going to ask you to ask God to send an awakening to this place. But that awakening starts with you. Because you can never ask people to go somewhere you haven't been. You can never ask people. I tell our staff that all the time. We can never ask our people to do for God what we're not willing to do. Our people will only go as far as we've gone. And so, you know, I expect our team to go before the Lord with a longing 
to clear a path that God may speak to us. And I want to, I want to tell you, Jesus said that your heavenly Father that sees what is done in secret, did you notice there was a promise? He will reward. He really will. I don't know how. I don't know how he'll do it. But I can tell you the times I've spent with the Lord and times of fasts, man, he shows me things that I wouldn't have seen had I not been in a different position spiritually to see it. If you want to go higher with God, you're going to have to go deeper with God. And fasting is one of those ways that it happens. You know, you often don't think about sharing something with somebody like a tweet or an email or sending them a sermon or sending them a podcast. You don't often think of that as missions, but it is. It's not that you have to send it to the whole world or post every single thing we do at Clearview on your feed. But if, if you've heard a sermon or if you've listened to a podcast, think through your life. I mean, God, who needs to hear this? Sometimes it, it, it doesn't need to go on your Facebook page. Sometimes it needs to go on your Twitter. But sometimes just a simple text to one person can make all the difference in the world. Sending them the Word of God in real time. Share it. You'll be surprised how far it goes.